It's July the 17th. Let's read the Bible. Welcome back, friends, to this year-long journey from Genesis to Revelation in just one year. What a joy it is to be on this journey with you. Um, a friend, Helen, writes this, Pastor Ray, by the end of 2023, you will be driving a Bible train and not a bus. So blessed each morning to ride on the, on the bus. Have a blessed day. Well, Helen, thank you so much. I love that. We started off with the Bible bus, but so many people have hopped on board. It's moved from a Bible bus to a Bible train. Well, whether on the bus or on the train, we're glad to have you with us. And um, just a reminder, just a reminder, we love your questions, love your comments. means a great deal to me personally to know that you're taking the time to write your thoughts and your prayers and to know that you're praying. Uh, so far, through the middle of July, my voice has held up pretty well. I hope you'll keep praying. We still have a long way to go. Now, let's hop right back into it. We're going to wrap up the book of Acts today, Acts 26, 27, 28. When we left off, Paul was standing in the great amphitheater there in Caesarea by the sea. You go there sometime, and you should, friends. You need to go to the Holy Land. I hope you will. You can go there. You can go. You can visit the very amphitheater. It's been restored, the very place where Paul stood and made his great defense before King Agrippa. So he's in Caesarea. He's going to speak to, uh, he's going to speak to the king and to the king's wife, Bernice, and there's all the, all the royalty, uh, the Roman royalty and the leaders of Caesarea, they're all there. Acts 26, what a moment. Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors, the promise our 12 tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priest. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priests, King Agrippa. While on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet, for I have appointed you for, to you for this purpose, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you 
from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first and to those in Jerusalem and in all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. To this day, I have had help from God and I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah would suffer and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, you're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I am speaking words of truth and good judgment, for the king knows about these matters, and I can speak boldly to him, for I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. The king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with him got up, and when they had left, they talked with each other and said, this man is not doing anything to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. Chapter 27. Did he make a mistake? What do you think? You think he made a mistake to appeal to Caesar? Now, there's, there's no choice. Since he appealed to Caesar, as a Roman citizen, that was his right. He's now going to be sent to Rome. He's, he's going to get an all-expense-paid trip from uh, Jerusalem, then to Caesarea, and from Caesarea on to Rome. All-expense-paid trip to Rome, uh, albeit he's going to go as a prisoner, but the, the government's going to make sure he gets there. It's his right as a Roman citizen. He's going to have his day in court. So watch this, Acts 27. When it was decided that we were to sail, sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. When we had boarded a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonia, Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. When we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship uh, sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days, with difficulty, we arrived off Snidus. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete off Salmo. With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. By now, much time had passed and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the Day of Atonement was already over, Paul gave his advice and told them, 
Men, I can see that this voyage is heading toward disaster and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete facing the southwest and northwest, and to winter there. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they'd achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But before long, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Cauda, we were finally able, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor, and in this way they were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. Since they'd been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, you men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now, I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For last night, an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men. Because I believe, God, that it will be just the way it was told to me, but we have to run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea, and about midnight the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took soundings and found it to be 120 feet deep. When they sailed a little farther and sounded again, they found it to be 90 feet deep. Then, fearing we might run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. Ship. They had let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. So I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And after he broke it, he began to eat. They were all encouraged and took food themselves. In all, there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted the bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach. But they struck a sandbar and, read the sh and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained immovable while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape. But the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. And so he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to get to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks and some on debris from the ship. In this way, everyone safely reached the shore. Interesting. Interesting to me anyway, that just a couple chapters ago, Paul was in prison 
in Caesarea for two years. That's the one verse. One verse, two years. In prison, in Caesarea. We don't, we don't know anything else about those two years, just that he was there. But now, in great, almost excruciating detail, we have this story of this dangerous, long journey from Caesarea on the way to Rome and the, and the, and the, uh, the storm and, and the breaking up of the ship and how Paul and all the others were saved and how, how God told him he was going to be delivered for it is necessary. You know, why all this detail? And by the way, this is not at all my specialty, but the, the people whose Greek specialty it is, they tell us that the number of ancient nautical details in chapter 27 is astounding. Luke wrote this, of course, and he says us. So Luke was on this journey. He was with the Apostle Paul. And Luke himself either was a nautical genius or he knew the men who were because I'm told that the details here are so specific. They are, they are it's, in, it's incredibly detailed. All of it to say that uh, this whole long journey, every piece and every part of it was under God's plan and no storm can stop Paul from ending up in Rome where God always wanted him to be. One other chapter, chapter 28. Once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They, they lit a fire and took us all in since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the local people saw the snakes hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man no doubt is a murderer, even though he has escaped the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. After they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us. And when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island with the twin gods as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. Then, there we found brothers and sisters, and were invited to stay a week with them. And so, we came to Rome. Now, the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us, and had come to meet us as far as the forum of Appius and the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. For this reason, I've asked, to see you and to speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. When they Then they said to him, we haven't received any letters about you from Judea. 
None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you, but we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded about what he said, but others did not believe, disagreeing among themselves. They began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, Go to these people and say, You will always be listening but never understanding. You will always be looking but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ without boldness, with all boldness, and without hindrance. That's the end of the book of Acts. I love that phrase earlier in chapter 28. And so we came to Rome. All of it, every detail of it, from the, the accusations and the hatred. You know, we've seen in the book of Acts, everywhere Paul has gone, uh, th th there have been Jewish agitators. There's been trouble. And, and, th and sometimes, as we saw in Ephesus, it's the business people of the city. That phrase these people have turned the world upside down. They've come here also. Well, guess what? Paul has come to Rome to turn the world upside down with the good news of Jesus. So where do we stand at the end of the book of Acts? God's man is in the heart of the most important city on earth. God's man, Paul, he may be in chains, but he's brought there by the Roman government. He's going to have his day in court. That's not recorded in the book of Acts. That's going to happen later. Meanwhile, what we have is Paul as a prisoner under house arrest, and he's preaching the gospel and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and with no hindrance whatsoever. This is God's plan. This is God's good news. The book of Acts starts in Jerusalem, but it ends in Rome and from Rome now to the ends of the earth. As I sit here today in Shawnee, Kansas, a Christian, and many, many churches in Shawnee, Kansas, all because a man named Paul and his friends and contemporaries 2,000 years ago came to Rome and preached the gospel, and from Rome to Spain, from Rome to France, from Rome to Germany, from Rome to England, and centuries later, crossing the Atlantic Ocean and coming to America, and then over the centuries to South America, Africa, Asia, to Japan, Korea, and China, Australia, Malaysia, Indonesia, from Jerusalem to Rome, to Finland, and to Swaziland, and to Sri Lanka, and to Syria, and Oman, and to Abu Dhabi, and to... Uh, Denmark and to the Northwest Territories and Yukon and uh, Vladivostok and Singapore and uh, 
You know, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. This is always, this has always been God's plan. Paul is God's man. He's in God's place, doing God's work. And the gospel is spread around the world. And we, 2,000 years later, we're not only the beneficiaries, but the same commission is, uh, is put on us to share the good news of Jesus everywhere we go, with everyone we meet, with all wisdom and boldness and discretion, with all boldness and without hindrance. So go out and have a great day. Folks, have a great God-blessed day. Share Christ every chance you get. Come back tomorrow. Guess what? We're going to jump back into the Old Testament. We are going into tomorrow, the amazing book of Ezra. You don't want to miss it. Come back. See you then. God bless.